Confession of the Lord in the Belgic Confession in Article 2, we confess that we know the Lord God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. And second, He makes Himself more clearly known and fully known to us by His holy and divine Word. That is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life to His glory and our salvation. And that Article 2 of the Belgic Confession beautifully sums up our text for this evening, which is Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Let me just read at this time verse 1 and 7 and 14. The first verse and the middle verse and the last verse. This is God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The Lord's help, we want to consider this psalm under the theme, The Lord Makes Himself Known. And we will see, first of all, His revelation in creation, and secondly, His revelation in the Word. And thirdly, we want to consider what is our biblical response to his revelation. What must we do when we hear this revelation? First then, God's revelation in creation. This psalm, it says, is a, a psalm to the chief musician, a psalm of David. That means this song is written to be sung in the public worship service, as we're doing this evening. Four of the Psalters we're singing are based on this psalm, Psalm 19, an inspired song given to us by the Holy Spirit to to sing back to the Lord. The Holy Spirit inspired David. He, He breathed this word into him. And David wrote it down, and we get to read it, and we get to sing it. The heavens declare the glory of God. And children, we can imagine Young David as a shepherd boy in the hills outside of Bethlehem with his father's sheep looking up into the night sky and remembering in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and then singing the heavens declare the glory of God. When we go outside at night on a clear night and and we look up into the heavens No, not heaven, the place where God dwells and where His people go, but but the heavens, the starry skies, the place of the universe, the planets and outer space where things are measured in light years. And we see the constellations. And scientists are discovering that it is more expansive than they ever imagined and than they ever thought before. And if you get a chance sometime, go online and look at some of the images that are sent from the Hubble telescope and see God's amazing creation and and you will get some, some feeling of this 
The heavens declare the glory of God. That's what David says. The heavens are saying something. They're, they're rehearsing something. And what is it that the heavens are saying? God is glorious. God is awesome. God is majestic. The heavens declare the glory. That word glory has the idea of something heavy. No, not heavy in, in weighing heavy in kilograms, but, but is as in awe-inspiring and in honor of God and the greatness and the awesomeness of God that can never be taken lightly. And the heavens declare the glory of God. Isaiah says, God stretches out the heavens as a curtain. Lift up your eyes on high and behold who has created these things. Sometimes we say, oh, what a beautiful starry night. And we could see the Milky Way and how amazing that is. But if we don't say, behold who has created these things, then we still don't get the picture that it declares the glory of God. Outer space, the planets, are all constantly shouting, as it were, the glory of God, the glory of God. And they declare the glory of God to God and to us. God is glorious. God made this. In Psalm 14, you read of a man who was called the fool. And there the psalmist says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Here in Psalm 19, the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So that fool in verse 14 has no excuse for saying there is no God. Because even the stars declare that there is a God. And the firmament shows His handiwork. That firmament, you read about that in Genesis 1. God made the firmament. God called the firmament heaven. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And it was so. So the sun and the moon and the stars, God's lights display and tell of God's handiwork. Think of a craftsman who works with his hands and makes beautiful things out of wood or out of metal. Or a lady doing fine needlework, creative works. But when we see a bird flying through the air, that bird is shouting, I am God's handiwork. The clouds in the sky, the clear sky, the thunderstorm, the blizzard, the eclipse, the full moon, the new moon, all are shouting loudly to God and to us. We are God's handiwork. God made us. Day unto day uttereth speech. When the sun set last night, and rose again this morning, the sun was speaking. Every day, every night, tells us of the glory of God. 
When it says it utters speech, it, it means it pours forth, it, it gushes of the glory of God. Each day we experience, as we experience it, and as we go into the next day, is shouting to us, God is glorious. And night shows knowledge. You go outside after church tonight, and you think now about that. The night shows knowledge. And what does it show knowledge of? It shows us the knowledge of the glory of God and the handiwork of God, the very existence of God, the heavens, the firmament, the day, and the night are all speaking with loud shouts, as it were, to us, God is real. God exists, and God is glorious, and all this, including us, is His work. And there's no place in the whole world where, where these shouts are not heard. It's heard right here in Canada. It's heard in Holland. It's heard in Russia. Putin hears it. It's heard in the Ukraine. God is glorious. Night unto night shows us knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. No matter where you are on this planet Earth, you hear the voice of the stars of the moon and the sun and the, const the constellations. It's a universal language of all of creation. It was not hindered by the Tower of Babel. No one in the whole world can say, I didn't know that there was a God. Yes, you did. The heavens told you of the glory of God. Their rule has gone out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. It's most likely a reference to, to their, their line of thinking, to, to be in line with God and, and along with the words, God is glorious. Paul quotes this verse to describe how God's revelation is worldwide. He says in Romans 10, Have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. Quoting Psalm 19. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. God has, has made a place for the sun to run its God-given, God-determined course. Children in science, you learn about the earth in its orbit and the sun in its orbit and how it's perfectly governed to God's exact measurement. If the sun were any closer, we would all burn up. If the sun were any further away, we would all freeze. And already in that Old Testament, the sun that we see in the sky was foreshadowing the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You read in Malachi 4 verse 2, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. That's a reference to the Lord Jesus. Jesus. 
So every time we see the sun in the sky and our minds are in tune with the Scriptures, we are reminded of the Son of Righteousness who comes with healing in His ways. David says of the Son that he is, it is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. In the Bible, and, and today still, a bridegroom on His wedding day is joyful. A bridegroom on his, on his wedding is coming out and going forth to, to meet his bride and he's full of anticipation and, and filled with longing and bursting with joy. And that bridegroom spreads his joy to others, to the bride and to his friends. Jesus says that the friend of the bridegroom rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. And, and David writes here in this psalm that The son is like that bridegroom coming out of his chamber, fulfilling the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The son rejoices as a strong man to run a race. That's a picture of of a runner in a race. He has trained for a long time. He's confident. His muscles are toned. He's strong. They which run a race run all, but only one receives the price. The prize. So run, says Paul, that you may obtain. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. The sun in its course reminds us of a man, a strong man, running a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. Is there anywhere in the world upon whom the sun's light does not arise? From sunrise to sunset, Everywhere in the world, from early morning to late at night. And think again what's happening in Psalm 19. The whole universe is declaring, making known God's glory and God's handiwork. And that's what the sun is like. It's like a herald, not just one time, but every day proclaiming everywhere he shines, God is glorious. This is God's doing. This is God's handiwork. God is real. Children, maybe you've never heard it. You say, well, the sun is that bright light up in the sky and we can't even look at it because it hurts our eyes, but you should listen to it next time you're outside and the sun is shining. The sun is shouting, God is glorious. And there's nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. In some places, it sustains life and vegetation and crops. In other places, it burns everything dry. We felt a little something of that here last summer, didn't we? The dryness from the sun. But wherever the sun does it work, does its work, whether it's, it is sustaining life or bringing droughts and famine, the message is the same. God is glorious. God is here. God is real. So no one in the whole world has any excuse not to bow before God. They may not know exactly who that God is, but they know He exists, and you know it too. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. 
And the firmament shows God's handiwork. But you see, in order to know who this God is, and what kind of God he is, and what God does, we need him to reveal himself further. And he does that in our second thought, in his word. So in Psalm 19, in the first six verses, the name of God is mentioned once. And it is the creator God. In verses 7 through 14, we have the covenant name of God, Jehovah, the Lord, seven times. In verses 7 through 9, there, there are six different synonyms for the word of the Lord. It's called the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. Every time we read our Bibles, we, we must keep in mind, this is of the Lord. This is from the Lord, what we're reading here. It is of the Lord. There's six adjectives given here in those few verses for the Word of God. It is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. It is clean. It is true. It is righteous. And then there are six verbs telling us what this Word does. It converts the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes, endures forever, and it warns the servants of the Lord. Now, David in his day didn't have the whole Bible like we do. He didn't even have most of the Old Testament. He may have had the five books of Moses and maybe the book of Job. And he called that the law of the Lord. That's what those five books of Moses are called. It, it, it includes the moral law the Ten Commandments, but it's not limited to that. It's the revealed will of God in David's scriptures of the, his limited supply of the Old Testament. And he said that the law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. It has no single blemish. And because it is perfect and complete, it has power. It has converting power. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, turning the soul to God. That's what Paul speaks of in Romans 12. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That, that transforming, that's that converting work of the Word of God, blessed by the Holy Spirit. So when we read the Old Testament and the New Testament alongside of each other, we have revealed for us the perfect will of God. And when this word is blessed by the Holy Spirit, it does its converting work in souls. It sets souls free. In fact, James calls it the perfect law of liberty. See, how can that be? How can a law... Be a law of liberty. That's what the Lord does. When He converts your soul, you become by grace a doer of the Word. You begin to love God's Word, God's law. 
And you say with David, this testimony of the Lord is sure. It's not unsure. It's not uncertain. It is sure. The Lord Jesus in his ministry spoke of that testimony. He said to the Jews, search the scriptures. They testify of me. And how can we summarize the testimony of the Lord in his word? Well, John writes, this is the record. That God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. So when we say the testimony of the Lord is sure, it's because it tells us of God's only begotten Son. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In Psalm 119, David writes, The entrance of thy words gives understanding unto the simple. Now, nobody likes to be called simple, but it's really a description of us all. We all lack scriptural wisdom. Even those of us who have studied it for years and and who know it so well, there's still so much more to learn. The more we learn, the more we find out how simple we really are. And in some respect, We are all like children. Dear believers, you will acknowledge that. We need to learn more. And the testimony of the Lord has power to give us wisdom, to make us wise. What kind of wisdom then? Well, listen what Paul writes to Timothy, who from a child knew the Holy Scriptures. And he says, those holy scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So that biblical wisdom is unto salvation, the saving of our souls through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how the simple become wise. The statutes of the Lord are right, he says, rejoicing the heart. Children, you know that right is the opposite of wrong. And here it's speaking of something that is morally right and correct and righteous. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, he says in Psalm 119. And when we know that the word of the Lord is right in everything it says, and he says, the result is that we will be joyful. Thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart, says Jeremiah. Nothing can give us joy in this world like the word of God rejoicing the heart because it's right. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In Psalm 18, the psalmist writes, Thou wilt light my candle." The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. By nature, and even after receiving grace, we can at times still be in such darkness. And we need light from above to show us once again God's way of grace, God's way to live, what God's perfect will is in this world. And only the commandment of the Lord is pure. 
and we begin to want to live according to all the commandments of God because the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good, says Paul. And in the middle of all those statements about the word of the Lord and the statutes and the testimony and the law and the commandment, suddenly he says, the fear of the Lord is clean. And if you listening carefully, you realize that fear is not a synonym for God's word. It's not called the fear of the Lord. But here it is the result of of the Holy Spirit blessing the word of the Lord to your soul. It implants in us the fear of the Lord. And that word fear of the Lord means a holy awe and reverence and respect for God and, and anything to do with God. So for His word, for His day, for His people. Fear of the Lord leading to obedience. In Scripture, many times, the fear of the Lord is closely connected with the commandments of the Lord. Just give you one example. Psalm 112, verse 1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandment. And sometimes we, we question that, don't we? We say, do I know something of that biblical fear of the Lord? Is, is that in my heart too? And, and, and you, can, you can examine that. How do you relate to God's Word? What do you think of God's commandments? Are you beginning to delight in them? Are you striving to obey them? No, not perfectly. We all know that. But yet the small beginnings of, of that obedience, that is part of the fear of the Lord. The judgments of the Lord are true. And righteous all together. Those judgments are, are proclamations in, in God's word about what is morally right and wrong and acceptable to God. And a believer in his right place doesn't argue with the Lord. When the Lord says a certain thing is morally right or morally wrong, he says, no, Lord, you are right, you are true and righteous. True and righteous are his judgments. That's quoted in, in the book of Revelation. Now, when David considers the word of the Lord in all its aspects, with all its power and all its blessings, it reminded him of something. It reminded him of precious metals. The most precious metal being gold at the time. And David knew all about gold. He was a very rich man. He had much gold in his possession. And yet he says of the word of the Lord, it is to be more desired than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. In Psalm 119 he says, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. All the gold in the world is not to be desired above the word of the Lord, even much 24-carat pure gold. God's word is more precious than that. And as David thinks about God's word and its power and its blessings, 
it reminds him of something else. And he says, how sweet are thy words to my taste. Psalm 19, but here in this psalm he says, it is sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now, I don't know what the sweetest thing in the world is today, but in David's days, honey was the sweetest known substance that anybody could find anywhere in the world. And he says, the word of God to my taste is sweeter than honey. Have you ever tasted the word of the Lord? I don't mean real, like take a bite out of a page, but to to taste something of the sweetness of God. To taste and see that the Lord is good. When you have a sense of that in your soul, you you will agree wholeheartedly with David. It is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Not only are the words of the Lord sweet and precious, they also work. Moreover, by them, this is verse 11, by them is thy servant warned. In the Old Testament, saints were born, were warned by the word of the Lord. Think for the example of Noah. He was warned to build an ark, and he did. But in the New Testament, too, Paul writes to the Corinthians, I, I write not to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. So the warnings of the Lord in His Word are loving warnings. And they are meant to to draw us back from the wrong pathway. And that that warning work of God still goes on in His church today in, in 2022. To warn who? 1 Thessalonians 5, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And we do that, according to this verse, by the Word of God. So when the elders or fellow believers come to us, when we are unruly, we're living contrary to the Word of God, they come and they warn us. And they always do that with the Word of God in their hands. Here it says, you may not live this way. You can't do those things. That's not according to God's holy will. And they warn us. And you know why they do that? Because they know that in keeping of the word of the Lord, there is great reward. That's what it says here in verse 11. In keeping of them, there is great reward. Notice the wording. In keeping of the word of the Lord, not for keeping the word of the Lord. It's not, if we keep them, then we will receive a great reward for our obedience. That would be works religion. But in keeping them, while we are living in obedience to the word of God, we are rewarded by the Lord. And you know what that reward is? It is the reward of a clean conscience. Knowing that this is the Lord's will. And now we're doing things according to God's will. According to God's word. Hebrews 13 verse 18 speaks of a good conscience. 
in all things willing to live honestly. When we live by faith, a life of trust, a life of dependence, a life of repentance, then we're not waiting to be rewarded for that, but we are being rewarded in that. Well, beloved, the Lord reveals Himself in in creation to all human beings in this world and, and to us too. And then to to those who have and to hear His holy word and His divine word, He makes Himself more clearly known to us. That is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life to His glory and our salvation. And that leaves us with a question. What is our proper response to the revelation of God in creation And in his word, what are we supposed to do now with this knowledge? Our biblical response to God's revelation, when when we are daily confronted with God's glory and God's handiwork in creation, when when we come face to face with the Lord as, as he reveals himself In His Word. How do we respond? What's the biblically correct way to respond now? And first it is to see ourselves in light of that Holy Word before this Holy God. Having looked in the mirror of God's Word, of this this glorious God, we respond by doing what it says in verse 12. We ask... Who can understand his errors? And the word errors there is is a verb that means to go astray. And it's a serious matter. In Hebrews 9, it says that the high priest had blood that he offered for him and for the errors of his people. It's not like our idea of making an error on a math test or saying, whoops, That was an error in judgment. No, this is going astray from the revealed will of God. Who can understand his errors? And the obvious reply in this question is, a man cannot on his own understand his errors. He needs someone to show him. That's why Job says, cause me to understand wherein I have erred. So we need the Holy Spirit to show us and to cause us to understand our errors, where where we are going astray in our lives. And we respond to this revelation of God by praying, cleanse me from secret faults. That's also part of verse 12. Cleanse me from secret or or hidden faults. When, When we are made honest by the Word and the Holy Spirit, We learn all kinds of things about ourselves and we find out that it was really much worse than we thought. Hidden faults that we've been hiding. And you know, some things can be hidden from other people. Some things we can hide even from ourselves and secretly saying, well, this is not really sin. And that thing I do is not really sin. And 
we don't read our Bibles too clearly when it says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Most of us have a very limited view of our own sin. We are quick to make excuses. We are quick to push away the accusations of our conscience and say, no, that's not sin. And this is not sin. But we need cleansing. Cleansing from such secret, hidden sins. So we pray with the psalmist in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And here we we say that, we pray that by saying, cleanse me from secret faults. And how are those secret faults cleansed? Well, they're cleansed the way all sin is cleansed. 1 John 1 verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Our biblical response to God's revelation and creation and in His Word includes verse 13 where we pray, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. What are presumptuous sins? The Hebrew word means arrogant and proud sins. It's used that way in Numbers 15 verse 30, the soul that does anything presumptuously blasphemes the Lord. He has despised the word of the Lord and has broken His commandment. That was not only an Old Testament problem, but it was also in the New Testament church, and it's still so today. Peter writes in 2 Peter 2 verse 10, Chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. There's that same word, presumptuous. Arrogant and proud. And that's not part of being a Christian. Arrogance and pride. That's why we pray that the Lord would keep us back Keep back thy servant from such presumptuous sins. And and Lord, let them not have dominion over me. Let them not rule over me these arrogant and proud sins. This is the prayer of a believer. Can, Can you believe that? The prayer of David, the man after God's own heart. Let those sins not have dominion over me. He knew the power of sin. Paul in the New Testament, and believers pray for this, and we may plead God's promise, sin shall not have dominion over you, Romans 6 verse 14. And when the Lord keeps us back, when He controls us by His Holy Spirit, He keeps us back from pride and from arrogance, and He stops the rule of sin, and then we say, then I shall be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression." That's possible for a human being to say this and to mean it, and it's true. I shall be upright, blameless, because I'm kept back by God Himself, indwelt by His Spirit. It is God who girds me with strength and makes my way perfect. And I will be innocent from the great transgressions, walking with a clear conscience. 
In Acts 24, you read this statement. Herein, I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And so the psalmist can honestly say, I shall be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. In Psalm 18, he said, I was also upright before him and I kept myself from my iniquity. How? How? By looking to Christ, by having that indwelling Holy Spirit enabling us, equipping us to obey, making us willing to obey. Now, when we see and hear the testimony of creation to God's glory and God's handiwork, and when we hear and read God's testimony of God's being and His character revealed in His Word, and of God's Son, the one name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved, then our biblical desire and response is to glorify this God in Christ Jesus and to join all of creation in giving glory to God alone. And yet we realize, don't we, even as we say that, that we need Him to enable us and to equip us to do that. That's why we pray in the last verse, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We know, don't we, that our words flow from our hearts. That's where they come from. Jesus said that whatever your heart is full of, your mouth will overflow. What we meditate on, that's what we speak. And the great concern for a believer in his right place is that our meditations and our words would be acceptable. Not to people. That doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if we're politically correct or not. But are our thoughts and our words acceptable to God? It is only by God's grace and by faith in Christ Jesus that we are acceptable at all. Ephesians 1 verse 6 speaks of the glory of God's grace wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. In the biblical response to the glory of God, we want our words to be acceptable. And the meditations of our heart to be acceptable. And we know that that is only by God's grace. That's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says we offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we sigh, O oh Lord, let it be so in my heart, with my words, my strength. The word strength there in Hebrew is my rock, my solid rock. It's another name for the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. That's Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock. In light of the glory of God revealed in creation and in His Word, we respond like this. The Lord is my strength. 
And even as we say that, we are acknowledging, I have no strength of my own. I am powerless against sin. I'm powerless against temptations. I am powerless against Satan. Oh, Lord, my strength. Let my words and my thoughts be acceptable to you. And we ultimately realize we are only acceptable in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, my rock and my redeemer. Redeemer, the one who purchased me. The one who paid the price to release me from the slavery of sin and who set me free. And who is this? Isaiah 54, verse 5, The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. It's another name for the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says to the Lord's people, You are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. In heaven, they're singing, Thou art worthy, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And they sing that to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Redeemer. That's the note on which this psalm ends. And my Redeemer. Our beloved, the only acceptable Biblical response to God's revelation in creation and in His Word is for us to come to Christ Jesus and to come back to Jesus with all our sins. That's all we can ever bring to Him. Come back in godly fear and humbly fall down before His glorious majesty and His awesome grace in the Lord Jesus. And it means to acknowledge our sins and our pride and our faults and our backwardness and to cry out to Him for cleansing, for forgiveness, for enabling grace, for acceptance with God, for communion with God through the Lord Jesus. It means to come to Christ Jesus confessing our inability, our weaknesses, yes, our unwillingness, casting ourselves on the grace of God in Christ Jesus the Lord, depending on Him alone, and every day afresh looking up and looking around And to hear the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows His handiwork, looking outward, finding Christ, and finding in Him all that we need and all we desire, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us and equipping us and enabling us to obey Him in love, out of gratitude. I would urge you, everyone, this evening, when you get back home, to read this psalm again. And read it in your families, and read it very slowly. And let it sink in. 
And we just read again in closing here, verses 1 and 7 and 14. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Therefore, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength, my rock, and my Redeemer. Amen.